scripture reading today will be uh, Matthew 13, 24 through 30. Here is another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the worker slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. The second reading is Matthew 13, 36-43. Then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, Please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, The Son of Man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat field is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun of their father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure to subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. Hear these words from Psalm 145, 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His compassion is over everything that He has made. Why is it that we are sometimes impatient with our neighbors and pretty lenient and patient with ourselves? Now, some of you are farmers, some of you are green thumbs and immaculate front yard possessors. Some of you carry out your dominion in other sorts of ways. Maybe your crepe myrtles are trimmed the best in town, or um, you know, I don't know what your thing is that you're proud of in appearance uh, in your part of the earth that you are having dominion over. But I think we could all agree that it's common, whether we're farmers or doing whatever, that we all know what it's like to drive by a neighbor's yard or a neighbor's farm or a neighbor's vacant lot 
or a neighbor's, whatever it is, and to politely scoff and say, gosh, I, those Strebex, I mean, don't they know that if you don't spray the weeds before now, it doesn't do any good? I mean, there's waste and chemical out there. Uh, don't they know that if you plowed in this way, you wouldn't have the sand dunes that you have? Don't they know that you can pull all the weeds you want in that part of the yard, but you never mow your yard? You know it's not going to matter. Or whatever it is that we say, oh, man, what were they thinking with their crop choices this year? Like everyone under the sun knows you're not supposed to plant that this year at this time etc etc uh, or maybe it's that's not your thing maybe something more like um i don't i wouldn't certainly ever be guilty of this like oh my gosh they call that carpentry like that they call that hanging a door that's that's just terrible you know or what kind of kids are those people raising over there you know what are they what are they trying to do is lord of the flies uh, so you know whatever it is we 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 know what that's like to scoff now the thing is we can manage with some success our little corner of the earth. Thanks be to God. You know, we can be good farmers. We can be good parents. We can be good yard managers. We can do some things that really are great ways to spend our lives. Jesus reminds us, though, in this parable, that no matter how hard we work in our little corner of the earth, or how much we wish our neighbors would work more, or whatever, that weeds are just part of life. There's just no escaping the weeds, no matter what we do. Weeds are prolific. You can spend all summer spraying weeds, shredding weeds, hoeing weeds, employing your children to do the same, employing your hired hands to do the same. You can spend all summer doing that, and you're still going to walk out one day and go, hmm, good morning, weeds. You know, you just, there's nothing you can do to totally eliminate weeds. They're prolific. They thrive, they just mock us. They mock our efforts. They thrive in all kinds of soils. And anywhere that civilization has ever scratched the earth, whether that be to farm or to build a castle or to build a house, weeds are quickly behind, mocking us, saying, thank you very much for giving us a fertile seedbed to do our work. Uh, weeds are never far behind. And so, Jesus kind of keys us in and we, we observe the evil around us. When we, when we observe the evil around us, the evil people, the evil institutions, the evil acts that we see, it can be very tempting to want to call down the fire, right? It can be so tempting to want to call down the fire. The disciples try this a couple of times. Sometimes we just want to ask for like a cosmic 2,4-D roundup dicamba combo that will just kill all the weeds in sight. And we'll be done with it. They'll just torch all the evil around us. Yes, Lord, come and just destroy all the evil right now. And then as soon as we pray that prayer, we realize, oh man, if that cosmic spray came to get all the evil, that would also get some things that live inside of my heart. That would also hit some things in my life that I haven't got rid of yet. We remember after careful inventory, that from time to time we have let evil grow and flourish in our own hearts. And we are so glad that God, who is the farmer in this great field of the world that we live in, that God has been patient with us, that God chose not to employ the cosmic 2,4-D roundup solution. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and he has compassion 
over everything that he made. Jesus tells us this parable knowing that we would sometimes grow weary of doing good. That's why Paul has to remind us to not do that because it's so natural. When you're in the midst of doing good in a world that's filled with evil, in this kind of field where there's weeds all around, it's so easy to get discouraged. It's so easy to get down. Jesus knew that we would grow weary of the constant weed pressure that just seems to never go away. He knew that we would tire from the struggle of nurturing the fruit of the Spirit when there is so much opposition in the world around us. You know, it doesn't matter if you read stuff from today or if you read, uh, like I was reading this week, uh, about the early Roman Empire and when the Christians were trying to make sense of life there, they felt like a minority. We can look around in our world today and realize that we are a minority. Uh, the church is, has been a minority for so much of history. And it's so easy to get discouraged and say, gosh, what is the point? We are just getting thrashed here. The scoreboard does not look good. It does not look like we're accomplishing our mission. It's a natural thing. And Jesus knew this. Jesus also knew what it was like to be sabotaged. Uh, this was a common thing for enemies to do to one another in the ancient Near East. They would take a certain kind of seed, which I imagine to be like Russian thistle, and they would go out at night and they would sow it in the neighbor's field. They would sow it in wheat fields and in orchards and just, just to flat out be mean and to sabotage a crop. This really happened. And so they understood this story, that this is a thing that happens in the world. There's a thing that happens in the world that we live in. And you go out the next day and your hired hands and your family come and say, uh, Dad, I thought you were on the planter yesterday and you were supposed to be planting wheat. But all we see out there coming up is a bunch of weeds. So were you asleep at the wheel or did you not have the planter depth set right or what was going on? And the, the farmer says, well, no, I planted the wheat, but clearly an enemy has done this. Someone has sabotaged our crop. Someone has sabotaged our way of life. And this is a real thing that happens. Jesus is conveying the nature of God. Uh, against our impulse to just fix it by destruction. Uh, imagine Matthew recording these words, recording these stories several years later after the death of Jesus. Imagine Matthew thinking there, you know, writing these parables out and thinking, man, I am so glad that Jesus had patience with me. That when Jesus came and began his ministry, he didn't just say, okay, up in flames with the tax collectors and the extortioners. Uh, it's time, you know, it's over. Uh, and and if, had they done that, had Jesus done that, then Matthew would have never been called. He would have never experienced the freedom in Jesus. He would have never been around to be one of the, the initial apostles that leaves us with the story of Jesus that we understand today. Uh, the church was largely built on these folks, and we're so glad that Matthew had a chance to turn. He had a chance to repent. He had a chance to, I don't know how this would work biologically, but he had a chance to go from being a weed which was part of the problem, uh, to becoming a, a, a wheat plant uh, that was producing fruit. Uh, so I don't know what, what kind of botany we'd have to get into to make that work, but the miracle happens. And this is what Jesus is leaving open the possibility of, the miracle of allowing a weed to become, to become uh, productive wheat, something we would want in our gardens and fields. I think Jesus tells this story to remind us that God is patient. Jesus tells us the story to remind us that if God is patient and we are to be imitators of God, that patience should be a major part of our disposition in a world filled with evil. Jesus knew that if we found ourselves waiting patiently, 
if we allowed for the possibility that there could be repentance around us uh, in our communities, in our world, that things could be different. Second uh, Peter 3.8, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved brothers and sisters, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, right? One growing season, might as well be four million of them. And a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but God is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish. You hear the nature and disposition of God, not wanting anyone to perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So we get we get both there. We get it's it's a patient endeavor right now. Yes, one day that day will come and it will be like a thief. But for now, don't think God is being slow. Don't think God has his feet propped up on the ottoman and he's just, you know, not getting stuff done. Uh, but he's waiting intentionally that people could repent. I think Jesus is guarding against what he calls in other places, uh, you know, being judgmental. Uh, I think he's guarding us against the natural thing that would slip in that would be our contempt for other people. Maybe they're a little different than us. Uh, our condemnation of other people. Because the church is called, as God has shown us in his nature, the church is called to emulate that nature and we become a patient entity in the world. We become a patient institution in a world that is filled with trouble. I love the fifth stanza of The Church's One Foundation. This hymn just almost makes me cry every time I hear it and think about it because it speaks to the difficulty of the church. Anyone who tries to talk about church life or being a Christian in the world like it's an easy thing uh, is probably not been in literally in the weeds yet. Uh, and it, it's, it's a beautiful thing and it's a wonderful thing and we wouldn't trade it for anything else in the world. But it is difficult. So the stanza goes this way, the church, excuse me, amid toil and tribulation and the tumult of our war, we wait the consummation of peace forevermore. Someday, someday the battle will be over. Uh, Till with the vision glorious, our longing eyes are blessed and the great church victorious will be the church at rest. We are a victorious church today but one day we will be the church at rest. We will join the church triumphant. We will not battle anymore. We will not have to struggle anymore. We won't have to pray each day, Lord, deliver us from evil. We won't have to pray every day, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us because there won't be any more trespasses and there won't be any more evil. That will be one day. That will be a great day. and We will be the church at rest. But for now, we are the church embattled. We are the victorious church still fighting the battles. This is what virtue is for. This is what the fruit of the Spirit is for. You know, as these things become part of who we are, as we become people who are courageous, as we become people who are filled with hope, as we become people who are full of those fruits of self-control and patience and kindness and peace and gentleness, uh, we have these things so that we can make a difference in a world that's filled with evil. I mean, the world is certainly opposed to those things, this evil, but we have the opportunity to battle and to fight and to be different that things can change going forward, and which is why we pray uh, deliver us from evil now. Deliver us from evil not later, uh, but, but today, now. Of course, a little disclaimer. I, you know, we, we have to, as people, 
we have to protect our own hearts and we have to protect our institutions. You know, we don't, we don't, this is not a call to just let evil do what evil will do. This is not a call to stand back and just let things happen. It's a call to fight, but it's a call to be patient uh, if things aren't changing at the clip and the speed that we would like them to change. Um, I was with our, our daughter this week at uh, freshman orientation and at college and, and uh, we, we sat across the table at one of these uh, forced socialization dinners uh, with a couple from Ireland. And, and so, of course, more, we were just enthralled by the accent. We're like leaning over, just kind of like, could you say that again, please? Uh, can you say potato again? That was really fun. Or whatever the thing. And we're just listening to them talk, and they live in Dallas now. And we had a delightful conversation with them. However, their son, who is a prospective student, uh, he sat through the entire meal, hardly saying any words, unless we asked him specifically, he wouldn't say anything. And I, one of the first things I noticed when I sat down, I thought, this kid is full of darkness. Something is going on. And the first thing that our daughter said when we walked out of the room was, gosh, dad, did you notice that poor kid was just, I mean, did you see like in his face? Could you just tell? And I was like, yes, ma'am, I could. And there's a darkness. There's an evil that was, something was going on there. And of course, uh, we want to protect ourselves. We don't, we're, we're trying to, you know, create boundaries so that we won't get hurt by people like that. But simultaneously, we're having compassion for him going, what must have happened in this kid's life to be 18 years old and to be full of that? I mean, the countenance was so dark and you just thinking, I, you just, that kid needs to be free. He needs to know what grace is. He needs to know what the light of Jesus Christ is like. So as we are patient in the battle, and as we learn to not condemn those around us, but uh, learn what it means to coexist with evil in the world, we also are comforted, uh, especially I think certain times in the church year, I think of Advent as being a time where I'm very comforted by this news. We are so comforted that God is a just judge, that nothing, that no evil will go unpunished. Like God's not going to miss something. God's not going to miss the injustices that are done against us and our friends, and our family, and those that we love. One day, the wait will be over and the struggle will end. Now we struggle. We are war-torn. We, we battle evil with virtue. We daily ask for forgiveness of our sins. We, but later, the struggle will end. It will be over and all will be peace, right? The church will then be at rest. We remember with strength and hope that from the right hand of the Father, as we say in the creed, Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. This should give us comfort. This should give us hope. This should give us peace. The finality of God's judgment is good news for good. It's good news because evil goes away. There's no more darkness. There's no more night. Jesus says in the parable, you know, all causes of sin, all evildoers, they'll be gathered up at the last judgment and they're going to be thrown into the fire first, just like we would do with weeds at the harvest. They're, they're going to go, they're going to become fuel for something else. They're not uh, taking up space like they should. I love what Augustine says about this in, in the fifth century. He says, why, church, why do you bear impatiently the mixture of evil with the good? In the field... And, and he kind of likens this, the, the tares among the wheat to be Christians who are full of evil, uh, which can certainly include that. Uh, but he says, in the field, they may be with you, but they will not be with you in the barn. 
Isn't, isn't that a great, there's a practical way to think about it. In the field, they might be with you and it might be a struggle now, but they will not be with you in the barn. I was thinking of those among us this week who like to spend time in the barn. Uh, some of you don't like to spend time in the barn. But for those of us that do, I thought it was a nice little piece of comfort that heaven here is likened to a barn, okay? So if you don't like barns, there's other analogies for heaven and those can come later. But today, uh, heaven is like a barn. So enjoy that visual image. Uh, I hope it's a cleaner barn than mine usually were, but anyways, uh, they will not be with you in the barn. Thanks be to God. Um, you know, um, if we continue in Second Peter 3, uh, he finishes this way. He says, you know, okay, here's the deal. If you're waiting, since, he says, since you're waiting, since, you know, I know you're listening to me, Peter says, and I know you're waiting now. You're waiting uh, in the midst of an evil world. You're waiting. You're waiting for deliverance and you are fighting all the while. Since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by Jesus without spot or blemish and, and at peace. Be diligent to be found at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Count the patience of our Lord as your salvation. Let that nature become part of who you are. Count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Um, this, this really hits home for me. I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm probably a nat- naturally a, a, a pretty critical person. Um, and so, you know, you give me a little time to study and get ready, then I'm, I'm the worst. I'm the worst uh, person of criticism. Uh, when uh, there, there was a, a guy that, that we learned about when I was in seminary, all my friends who were on the counseling track, they were reading this a Jewish scholar named John Gottman, and he was kind of, he was big in marriage and family therapy, and he had this famous marriage lab that he did, and he said, you know, uh, he started out, and he said, I, we, with all these couples we sat with and all the data we collected, we can predict whether this couple will stay together or get a divorce. We're 90% accurate, whether we can predict, and he said, the things that we notice that come up in behaviors where we can tell we think this couple's not going to make it, and he called them the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and, uh, and it's, it's, very dramatic sounding, but it's very real. And two of those uh, are contempt and criticism. If you want to learn more about that, you can Google Gottman, Four Horsemen, or whatever. But criticism and contempt. And these are two that I struggle with in relationships, but it's, it's two that I struggle with, I realize, when I look at, when I see evil around me. Uh, it's good. We should notice evil. You know, we shouldn't be naive. We should, we should be wise as serpents, right? And innocent as doves. We, we should notice it. Uh, but, but it's that stuff inside of us, that, that judgmental spirit, that, that condemnation of others, the, um, the contempt for another person uh, that, that I notice when I take a real examination of conscience, that it, it really eats at me and it harms those around me. And so uh, I think it, it would be prudent for us to examine our conscience at, at, at times like this and to ask, you know, like the psalmist says, see if there is any way in me that is contrary to the goodness and patience of God. And if there is, Lord, then lead me, lead me uh, away from that. Lead me into a place of freedom uh, where, where we can fight with a clean conscience, where we can fight and be at peace, where we can be presented to Jesus without spot or blemish, where the world can experience the church as patiently loving them out of the evil that they're in. May this be the work that we find ourselves doing together. May we be free uh, from criticism and contempt. And may we wait patiently for the coming of our Lord, which is sure and certain as the rising of the sun. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
Amen.